You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to an emergency edition of the Family Feud Podcast. We're going to give our quick takes coming off of the Pac-12 press conference. It's the first real update we've gotten in a while. Props to the Pac-12. They actually had a press conference for the media to unveil their 10-game conference-only schedule. They had a little roundtable with four important people in the conference and then opened up to the media. So we'll be giving our reactions, our takes from that press conference. I got Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino on the line. Guys, how are you doing after this press conference? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on my second official emergency podcast. I feel like they're playoff appearances. They are. So I'm trying to to get my, (laughs) my resume up. I studied the tape from my last emergency podcast. Shout out, fun fact, if you can find that one. But I studied the tape. I'm ready to have a better performance this time around. So you won't be freezing in Utah this time? Freezing, yes. <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, the, the Pac-12, you know, putting out a schedule was, you know, something that kind of was eye-opening. It's like, oh, this is, this is actually happening. You know, we've been, it seemed like it's been so far in advance. Like, oh, okay, well, they'll do this schedule. And, you know, right now they're two weeks away from potentially opening training camps. So, um, you know, it makes it seem like it is actually a real possibility. Now, is that actually going to happen? I think we're going to discuss that this this uh, 30 minutes or hour long that we talk. But uh, I think that, you know, just making it seem like a realistic possibility, you know, brings into focus that, hey, we could actually have a college football season. You know, they are scheduling for it. Everything's being planned out. Now let's see what happens from here. Yeah, and that since it was kind of nice to be in work mode again, like having a presser, taking notes, tweeting, it was like, oh, wait, this is normal. So before we dive into it, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of the main points of what happened. So Larry Scott uh, was one of the four people there. Uh, he was joined by head coach David Shaw of Stanford, Oregon State Senior Associate AD, uh, and who's also part of the medical advisory board, Dr. Doug Ackerman, and then Arizona State's VP of Athletics, Ray Anderson. So together they answered questions and kind of gave an overall view of what they've been talking about for the last five months. So first off, like Shotgun said, fall camp can start August 17th. Uh, Larry Scott did acknowledge that some schools may have to delay their start based on local and uh, state guidelines. The other thing is that the start of the season was announced September 26th. Uh, We'll get into that. And then a couple of quick points uh, Larry Scott said that fans, that, that decision will come down to governmental authorities, not the conference. So there might be some disparity in the conference, whether or not uh, schools have fans in the stadium. And then ultimately, Larry Scott at the end basically said, you know, I'm not sure if we actually will see a college football season. So all this could be for naught, but we're going to talk about it like it's going to happen. So on that note, guys, uh, what were your initial takeaways on the whole from the press conference? All this felt like a save the date for a couple that you know could get divorced or break up <laughs> two weeks before the wedding. You know what I feel? I don't know if anyone else felt that like that. But yeah, a lot of information was thrown at us. Not a lot of like concrete answers as we expected. I mean, stuff with the fans. There was stuff with like media. There's not like clear-cut protocols in place. Um, I thought one of the big things was the flexibility of the schedule. I thought that was nice. Obviously, anything that had a rigid structure was just going to blow up in their faces at some point. So you do have those little flexibilities with the bye week and then possibly playing later in December. I also thought it was interesting that 
uh, Larry Scott mentioned that there could be a spring piece um, if they had to delay further and maybe push it back, uh, you know, into the spring. So I thought that was one thing that caught my attention. Yeah, I think just looking at it, just the first thing was just them putting out a schedule. Like I said, it was just kind of eye-opening that, okay, you know, they actually are making these plans. But there seem to be a lot of pieces that are still missing from this. You know, there was a question asked specifically about the media and what the protocols would be. And they said, you know, we haven't really worked on the protocols yet. And so that tells me that there's a lot of stuff. This is kind of like the the opening thing that we could do, and we're just going to do that. Uh, but we still got a lot of, of work to put in before, you know, anyone's actually going to be on the field. That's how it felt to me. And some of the responses from Larry Scott, you know, saying, you know, that, that we're expecting that an outbreak is a real possibility and a likelihood. He later said, and likelihood as well. Um, so if you're expecting an outbreak being likely, then – that makes it still safe to go and play for these kids. Uh, that that's a big question. Um, you know, saying that there's no there's no bubble, you can't have a bubble. Larry Scott said that as well. Uh, some of those were some of the things that stood out from what he said. But a lot of questions are still remaining with this, and I, I think that that's to be expected. But it just seemed like you know when the the media were were able to ask questions, there weren't a lot of answers that were given to any of the questions that were asked. It was just kind of a lot of him and hawing back and forth and saying, "Well, we'll see." And Larry Scott using vis a vis a lot. <laughs> Most notably on that front, shotgun I thought was uh, Dr. Ackerman was asked like, "At what point?" is a team recommended to just put a pause on things. And he was like, mm-hmm. we still don't know. And he said that the medical advisory group is still trying to work that out. And to his credit, he said it's a complex issue. Like he used an example of if you have two positives at the beginning of the week and you're able to contract trace and you can, you have a handle on things and maybe you don't need to pause. Whereas if it's multiple players and you don't know the origin and it seems like you don't have a control on things and maybe you do. So he said that the, the advisory group is still working out on, on a decision tree where if this happens, you know, this is your likely uh, steps forward. So the fact that that's not figured out yet is a little concerning, especially when you see what's happened with, uh, Major League Baseball and how they don't really have an answer for things. I think that's something you have to know because like Larry Scott said, it's going to be inevitable that people are going to be positive, test positive, and at one point is it not safe? You kind of have to know when that hard pause needs to be implemented. Yeah, and I think the fact that almost immediately after their press conference uh, that information comes out about the MLB where Commissioner Rob Manfred is basically saying, you guys got to do better or else we're going to shut down the season. And that's because baseball is the one sport that's not in a bubble. So it's probably the most, uh, you know, the the best analogy right now uh, because the other sports have been bubbled and are doing well. Baseball, on the other hand, is having some some serious issues and having to reschedule a bunch of games because of positive tests. So if you say that college sports can't be done in a bubble or college can't be done in a bubble, there is no bubble with college athletics then you're looking at baseball and the you know you're following their lead a little bit more than maybe some of the other leagues. So I think it's a little bit easier because there's 12 schools versus 30 teams, so there's a little bit less travel and, and with, with that factor. But you have bigger rosters. You have younger kids who are more apt to, to do something that maybe goes against the – the uh, what has been suggested and the rules that need to be followed. And you know if you're expecting an outbreak and an outbreak is likely, as Larry Scott said, how are you going to piece this together and make it happen? I, I think that there's a lot, of, a lot of questions remaining there, and you know the the fact that 
that we don't know how they're going to handle it doesn't make it seem like it's going to work out as laid out right now. There's a lot of flexibility for an outbreak. The first two games of the season are noted as reschedulable, and I thought this was actually an interesting quirk. There's a bye week each week between week four and six, and there's four teams assigned to each bye. So if we look at USC, for example, UCLA, USC, Cal, Oregon State have the same bye week. So if any one of those need to reschedule, they can reschedule on their same open bye week. Whereas, you know, if in a normal season, the bye weeks don't align like that. So they at least aligned it so that that first two-week grouping can reschedule on that week if they need to. Or for all the conference, week 12, which is December 12th, is open too. So they do have some flexibility built in. But the interesting thing that we're still trying to get clarity on is that pretty much right after the press conference ended, Mike Bone and UCLA's athletic director released a joint statement basically saying, based on current county guidelines, we can't even have the, the kickoff, the September 26th game between UCLA and USC, which I think we haven't mentioned yet, but starting off the season with the rivalry game. So it's interesting how already, Chris, you had the analogy of the wedding. This is kind of like USC and UCLA are the kids with the strict parents. They're like, cool guys, this is a great event, but my, my mom's not going to say yes to this, you know? So it, they already can't, <laughs> do what's scheduled so it's kind of up in the air right now specifically for the los angeles schools yeah so you might still see that usc ucla game at the end of the season i mean if the season ends up getting played out but also larry scott said we may not get 10 games in we're we're hopeful but you know the best laid plans don't necessarily come to fruition so are they are they planning for the potentiality of you know, some teams not getting 10 games and, you know, some teams having eight games played and some teams getting, you know, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of questions. I think that's why we haven't even brought up the fact that you have a potential rivalry game to open the season is because there's a, so many questions that, that came from this that were unanswered that even though it's scheduled, there's all that flexibility, which makes it seem like maybe it won't actually happen. And because of the guidelines and one thing they did say was the reason why USC UCLA are playing the first week or scheduled to play the first week in Arizona, Arizona state is because those are two areas where there's been outbreaks. And so they want to give them that flexibility so they can push the games back to those bye weeks or later in the season. Uh, so again, it, it's, it's interesting really with the, the note of UCLA and USC potentially opening the season, but is it going to happen? It's still, it's still my feeling. It's just like, uh, is it, is it really going to happen? And I mean, I was optimistic the fact to see in the schedule today, going, wow, they actually did put a schedule out. There, there is actually these plans where I've been very cautious uh, to to get excited about anything. But we'll see on that rivalry game for sure. All I'm saying is that we're all RSVPing for the state of the date. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think David Shaw said it best. I think he was asked, like, well, you're in Santa Clara. How are you handling what you can do? And he said, we will do what we're allowed to do until we can do something more. And I think that kind of sums it up. It's like... So perfect. They have so all perfect. the plans in place. But at the end of the day, and I think we mentioned this on the last family feud, they're still going to be bound to what the county, what the state is saying. And right now, the California schools can't even do indoor workouts. So... It sounds good, it's great, but what's going to happen next? And I think Larry Scott or one of the four were asked, will you go and ask government authorities directly if you can get an ex exemption? 
And I don't think that was answered. It either was bypassed or it wasn't answered fully. So we don't even know if this is something that they could lobby for an exemption like the pro sports have gotten. So it's like Shaka said, it's up in the air. So we've expressed our doubt, but now that we have that kind of behind us, let's pretend like this season is going to happen. What were your takeaways from this schedule? So the 10th school that was added for USC was Wazoo, Washington State, and they're going to be after USC's bye on week seven. But overall takeaways from this new schedule. I think that the schedule sets up, you know, maybe best for USC. It's, it's a little softer early and then harder late. You know, with a school that you don't know how many practices you're going to get in early and the fact that you have a new defense that you still haven't been able to fully install on the field, then I think that's how you want it set up. I don't think you want the, you know, your your Oregon, Arizona State, Utah run and Washington. You know, that that four-game stretch is, is make or break for the, se- the hypothetical season we have here. Um, and USC could be undefeated going into that. I don't necessarily think they will be because of the question marks of putting this new defense together and getting it to work the way you want it to when you haven't had a chance to do it on the field. I think there are some big question marks there, but I think starting with a little bit lighter of a schedule and then working your way into the heavy part is probably better for USC. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Shotgun kind of said there. That said, that schedule USC is a winner with this schedule just because it sets up a little bit easier. I had multiple people, multiple people text me that USC should be six and zero going to that final stretch of the season. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, just as reporters, we gotta love that final stretch of three really fun consecutive games with Oregon, Arizona State, Utah, Washington. I mean, that's a murderer's row at the end. But like Shotgun said, that's where you want to play those final games when your defense is probably meshing the best. Uh, will it happen like that? We don't know. Um, and also just seeing UCLA at the top of the schedule is very jarring. It's like someone flipped the schedule upside down. Um, I think Dan made a good point. He wrote a column about how the schedule sets up for USC, but he made a good point about how UCLA is not Alabama. It's not that that, that game that's going to hype up the players, but it is a rivalry game, and that's an extra level of motivation to start the season. And I think there's some danger in that UCLA game. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think there's a lot of danger there because of the fact that defense, you know, you're going to have some missed assignments, and that's what Chip Kelly's offense really picks on. That's what he did so well against USC a couple years ago when they were able to run all over the place against the USC defense is he found some weaknesses and were able was able to exploit it over and over again. And, you know, if you have a, a defense that's still trying to figure out where they're supposed to line up and what they're supposed to do as far as their assignment, I think that plays into what Chip Kelly could potentially do. So I think there's some danger in having you UCLA as that opening game for USC. Can I just note that even in the middle of a pandemic, the Pac-12 was still going strong with that Friday night game at Utah. <laughs> it's Black Friday. It's the day after Thanksgiving. It's the most ridiculous thing. And and Larry Scott was asked about it. It was kind of like, yep, that's our tradition. We've been doing that for a while. And it's like, what? Like, <laughs> even in a pandemic, you couldn't be like, you know what? This is not the best idea. <laughs> Because the real answer he didn't want to say was, hey, it's all about the money. Because someone just flat out asked, why are there still Friday games? The answer is, TV wants games on Fridays. So we're going to give it to them. It's all about the money. You just be realistic here. You, you can't say that because you just – we'll put the risk of people. It doesn't ma- matter. And then Keely pointed out in, you know, uh, in our group thread is just, hey, this is the day after Thanksgiving. 
the travel potential there is even a bigger risk. Um, I, I think you're also looking at, you know, that game and also Oregon two weeks before that. Those are two cold weather climates. Uh, you know, you're getting the end of the season. U- USC usually plays at Utah early in the year because they get to avoid that, you know, that uh, weather. But that's going to be, uh, you know, that's going to be a big advantage potentially for Utah if, if everything, you know, plays out as scheduled. You know, having that home game late in the season and being able to have the cold, whereas USC will not be, uh, you know, will not be comfortable with that. So the Pac-12 is still planning to hold a conference championship. It's not going to be in Las Vegas as was originally scheduled. It's going to be a home hosted. Uh, championship that's something that they did for the first three years of uh, the Pac-12 so something that they're used to is it too early guys to predict who's going to be in that championship game uh the school that stays the healthiest uh, I think it's I mean th- there's such an opportunity where you know if you have a quarterback starting quarterback you know tests positive and is out how long are kids going to be out is it going to be the MLB uh, where, you know, as long as you get two negative tests, then you're allowed back? Or do you have to, you know, is there a strict 10-day quarantine? You know, and you test positive on a Friday, you're out for two weeks, you lose a starting quarterback, even if he doesn't have symptoms or anything, or potentially you, you have an outbreak in a position group. You know, you have the meetings and stuff, or you're going to then quarantine. You've seen this, some NFL teams discussing about quarantining a, uh, a player at each position so that they're not spread, so you at least have someone. You know, if uh, you know if you have a quarterback room, catch you know have an outbreak of the virus, and you don't have a quarterback, what are you going to do then? Are you then going to drop back into a, a single wing, or you know what's going to happen here? I think the team that is able to stay the healthiest, but also be flexible with that. You know, the coaches that can be flexible with losing uh, a couple players and how they're going to adapt to, to that type of thing. Um, I think that's the team that has the best chance of of having success this season. That being said, I still think USC fans, regardless if the whole offense comes down with COVID, that they expect USC and Clay Helton to be in the Pac-12 championship. I don't think that's going to water down the expectations for this fan base. I think that USC also has an advantage over a lot of other teams because they still have better depth than most of the teams in the conference. Um, you know, you're looking at USC, you're looking at Washington, you're looking at Oregon as the teams with the best depth uh, and consistent depth across the lines. Uh, you know, there are a couple of weak spots for USC. Obviously, the quarterback position with only two scholarship guys on the roster right now. So uh, there's some big concerns there about keeping Keaton Slovis healthy in multiple ways. Uh, you know, with the offensive line, but also with the uh, health professionals and that line of, of protection as well. So uh, I think that. Keeping him healthy is a, a big determinant of, of the season for USC. Um, and, you know, if you, you have, like I said, if you have a couple quarterbacks go down, suddenly things are a lot murkier for a team to try to win a, win a football game. But it might not be safe for them to play. So, like, this is kind of shady, but, like, say USC has only four freshman offensive linemen to fill positions on the line, and the whole line got it besides them. And say Brett Elon is, is safe, so he's going to be a center. Do you like pause because you're like, do we really want to risk Keaton Slovis playing with four true freshman offensive linemen? Like, is that when you enact a pause? Like, what do you think could happen? And I think that's one of the the questions is who's going to make these determinations? You know, is the head coach saying, hey, it's not safe for us to play? Is it not safe because you have, you know, your star running back at a turned ankle 
and you're concerned about being able to play against the whatever the team is over there, and you've had a couple cases that aren't related, but hey, uh, you know we can't play Oregon. We don't have our star our star players. Uh, you know they're in, they're actually injured rather than sick. Um, is that the person making the determination? Is it a health professional that says, okay, well you've had so and so, you've had a certain amount of cases, and that's the thing. That's what you wanted to hear answered on this call. And that's why I'm still very hesitant about this because when they were asked about these things, it was, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, not, uh, maybe this, maybe, uh, and it was very Larry Scott, you know, it was very Larry Scott of the entire conference call, you know, it was, uh, well, we hope, we hope for the best. Yeah. You hope for the best while you pocket a bunch of money, Larry Scott. Your Larry Scott impression gets better every every season, I swear. <laughs> um, one question I just had popped in, what happens logistically if, like, a coach on the sideline, or, like, let's say Tim Drevno gets, comes down with the Rona. Is Vianne going to coach the whole position group? Um, is he going to be out on one of those little Segway Zooms? <laughs> Tim Drevno digital coaching? Like, what happens uh, in those scenarios? Like, are the grad assistants allowed to take over or now there's so much news that i can't pin this down so forgive me but was it the sec or the ncaa in general that said that analysts can now be on the field with coaching i think it was the ncaa right i did not see that one it might have been one of the new rules but i cannot i think they enacted it to help if that scenario happens where you have kind of a backup guy ready to coach i think you're gonna have to come up with contingency plans for a bunch of stuff and even then you're going to have situations potentially pop up where you're like, well, we didn't think about that before. And how are you going to react to it? And the teams, the schools that react best, uh, I think, and having that flexibility, you know, schedule flexibility, but also, you know, roster, staff flexibility, the teams that adapt best are, are going to be, you know, the most well-suited during this weird, wacky season that is coming up and potentially going to be played. Okay, so apparently Mac Brown said that the NCAA will let teams replace sick coaches from uh, with analysts. And I think that's what I saw on Twitter because everyone was like, well, Alabama is just going to be sitting pretty if that right. happens. I think it's kind of like the rule when you fire a coach, you can, you, know, you can hire Gavin to go on the road recruiting and stuff. I think you'll have 10 active coaches at a time is what my guess would be. But she's right. Alabama's just got like that all-star bench ready to come off. <laughs> If uh, some goes off, you know. Oh, I was just gonna make an in-game reference, but I can't for shotgun, so never mind. But no, there were there were gifts yeah. happening. Don't do that. Another that another too. another time, shotgun's lack of Marvel, Marvel movies has ruined ruined a perfectly good. Keely, text that to me off the pot. I wanna I wanna okay. laugh. We'll Sorry, do. guys. We'll do. I don't think we've mentioned it at this point, but uh, the CEO group also allowed the twenty-hour rule to start on Monday, which means that. Uh, the Pac-12 schools can start doing non-contact activities like film room, uh, team meetings, strength and conditioning. Now again, <laughs> places like UC USC, uh, that doesn't mean indoor workouts. They're still bound by local guidelines, so they can do more things. It's not like practice. That starts August 17th. So things are, are starting, but once again, USC is still limited. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you look at it, and that's going to be a question if the schedule plays out and, you know, games actually start uh, when scheduled and USC is supposed to open against UCLA is how prepared are those two teams? 
you know, when do they need to be on the field as well is going to be a question for practices and stuff to feel comfortable putting them in a game situation for the health of the players. You know, just the fact that, you know, you're going to have potential injuries if you haven't been out on the practice field, if they can't get out on the 17th like everybody else can. You know, does that push back the schedule? There's still, again, and unfortunately, there's still a lot of questions, even though there were some positive news today. I know it's probably going to be redundant to those listening, but that's what we have to keep circling back to is it all sounds good, but in reality, it's the local authorities and state authorities that really uh, uh, drive the the wheel here drive the wagon drive the bus they drive the bus <laughs> <laughs> you got there you, you found it it was close i think that's one of the things that was reiterated by a couple different people in this uh this webinar was that it's going to take people outside of the players on the team outside of the community of the college to do what they're supposed to do and wear their masks and, and follow the guidelines to help this college football season be played yeah, that was the key. There's a lot of hope involved that things also have to get better at the same time. Obviously, if things get worse, I think this is just you throw it out the window. But you have to wear your mask. Everyone needs to be compliant and have numbers go down in order for this to even look like a possibility. I just want to circle back to what I said earlier about the UCLA-USC game to start the season. We've gotten some information that the way I'm characterizing it is not exactly accurate. So we're still trying to get a better sense of what that game will look like given current LA County guidelines. But Chris, you interpreted it a different way. We love butting heads, but I just interpreted it slightly different than you. I didn't interpret it as, you know, there's a possibility that this game doesn't be, isn't played, which obviously that's, that's the case. I just thought it was them hashing out stuff that had already been said on the PAC 12 uh, teleconference today that, Yes, we were, we're scheduled to do it this on this date. We haven't been given clearance, and it could be played on that bye week or the December 12th date. I just saw, as them, saw it as them reiterating everything that was said earlier in the day. So I didn't necessarily read into it that, oh, this isn't going to happen. I mean, it could still not happen, but I just thought they were just laying out everything as we understood it. That makes sense. I think that goes back to things need to change in order for it to be played. If it was tomorrow, it would not be played. I think that's what I was getting at. Alrighty, guys. It was a quick take, a quick emergency pod. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is who, which team has the best discipline to follow the rules, and you know if the schedule is played out. So you know the 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 head coach that has the best rapport with his players and gets them all to buy in, and the team that is most disciplined and following the rules could be a team that has an advantage this season. So it may not be just the talent on the field. It may be um, the the buy-in from the players to be able to to go forth and, and everyone be healthy enough to, to play in these games and, and, you know, deal with the virus as best. Whoever can deal with it the best may turn out to be your Pac-12 champion this year. So I kind of had an old man sports take on that in a similar similar vein because the Marlins that came out while we're recording this that they, like you said, talking weren't taking it seriously. Doesn't that kind of, in a way, the virus kind of tells on teams? Like if you don't have the self-discipline to maintain protocols in a pandemic where your season's on the line, doesn't that kind of show why you might not be, be getting it done in your sport? Yeah, usually the teams that are that are best disciplined are usually your 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 best teams, the teams that play play uh, well. You know, so th- there's always the the debate between the old school coach that's super hard nosed and you know letting the players you know have some fun and be loose, but 
you know, is there discipline in the middle there to allow the players to, to have some fun on the field, but be disciplined in everything in your training and your workouts and that stuff beforehand. Now it's being disciplined as well and following guidelines, um, you know, with the coronavirus and, and being healthy. Probably helps that USC does have a lot of veterans on this team, a lot of guys who have been starters, a lot of guys with, got a lot of guys with experience, a lot of guys that uh, the younger guys can look up to and say, hey, these guys are following the protocols to the T. I got to do the same. I, I can't let anyone from my team down. And also probably helps that, you know, this new coaching staff that has a lot of the guys buying in uh, with this kind of new culture. Hopefully that can help push that along and get these guys focused and staying within the lines of, of the regulations and stuff. Leadership's going to be really big, you know, not only from the staffs, but also within the team, you know, are, are your veteran players, you know, do the younger players listen to them? And is that leadership, you know, and that's been a question mark with USC in the past, you know, who's going to be the leaders on certain sides of the ball. Now it's going to be just the overall team. You know, do you have enough leadership to, to be able to, to reach everyone and tell them, Hey, I know that you may think this may not affect you or whatnot, but everyone needs to follow the rules if we want this to work out. And it's worth noting that as far as the voluntary student-athletes, the last COVID test results that we got, USC had zero new positive cases. So it looks like they're doing something right. And the other notable thing to note is that the 20-hour rule now means that it's switched from voluntary workouts to mandatory stuff. So um, if you are opting out, We'll probably get a sense of that in this upcoming week of who, if anyone, has opted out from uh, the team or from fall sports because this is where it actually matters. And it's and there is no penalty for those student-athletes who do choose to opt out. Alrighty, well, like I said, this is a quick emergency pod. Just some quick takes on the press conference. Not the cleanest pod, but we just wanted to give you our instant analysis since we haven't done instant analysis in a while. Uh, but that's Shotgun. That's Chris. We'll come at you next time. I think there's there wasn't a Dan pod this week. Uh, some scheduling issues happened, so we'll be back next week to, to sort all these things out. But like I said, Chris, Shotgun, Keely, we'll see you next week. Peace. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.